Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now, just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. I was raised in an unusually sex-positive household, so the topic of sex was always comfortable for me. So the biggest takeaway in terms of desire, and there's so many, but I'll just say one of each, is this concept of responsive or receptive desire, that there's two types of desire. What I want women to know is that 96% of us do not orgasm most reliably that way. We need clitoral stimulation alone or clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration. I decided to write a book with the aim of like bringing the clitoris into the limelight, exposing the orgasm gap and helping women close it in individual bedrooms as well as making a cultural impact on closing it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. Welcome to another fantastic Saturday episode. I have Dr. Lori Mintz, and she's a professor, an author, and a speaker, and a therapist. As a tenured professor at the University of Florida, she teaches the psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of undergraduate students every year. She's the author of two popular press books, both written with the aim of empowering women sexually and both with published studies demonstrating their effectiveness, Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It, and A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, Reclaim Your Desire and Reignite Your Relationship. Dr. Mintz's goal is providing scientifically accurate sex-positive information to enhance female pleasure for over 30 years, Dr. Mintz has also maintained a small private practice working with both individuals and couples on general and sexual issues. Dr. Mintz, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am so excited. Okay, so I always love to start with someone's backstory and how you ended up becoming a professor of human sexuality. I mean, you know, why focus on this subject? Yeah. Well, I've been a psychologist, a licensed psychologist for over 30 years, and I've only been in the sexual health field for about 12 or 15. So basically, I was raised in an unusually sex-positive household, so the topic of sex was always comfortable for me. But I never really thought, oh, I'm going to make my career all about it. I was a teaching psychology of women, teaching grad students how to do therapy, had a private practice. And then when I was in my 30s with two young kids 
and a job and all that and had many friends in the same situation, my friends started telling me, I'm never horny anymore. I've lost my sex drive. And I had clients of the same age telling me the same thing. And that's when I realized, wow, I've been trained as a therapist and I never was trained in this. So I did kind of a deep dive into the literature, scientific, clinical, and realized this has been such a hole in my training. I need to do this. And so I immersed myself, got certified, did all the things, and then wrote my first book and realized there's so much information out there, but it doesn't make it to the lay public. And kind of the rest is history. I wrote my book, my first book, kind of the scientist in me panicked. Oh my gosh, what if it's out there and not helpful? So I was a researcher, so had some students run clinical trials. Anyway, one thing led to the other. Then I got the opportunity to teach this class, which I love at UF. And then that exposed me to the orgasm gap and wrote my second book. And pretty much now all I do is write about, talk about, work with clients and students around sex and sexuality. Yeah, no, I love that because when I started all this, it was really just a curiosity for myself. And I considered this podcast to be just, it was me conducting a social experiment on myself. And it was, okay, I have all these interesting sexual desires. And if I cross these things off my list, and if I give myself a list to really sort of devote concentrated effort into my sex life and thinking about it and really just paying attention to it, I guess, and prioritizing it, you know, who am I becoming? Like, what does this make me? And what are all the things that this stirs up in me? And am I going to be able to go back to who I was or who I thought I was? And really that was just, these were just kind of the big questions that I wanted to answer for myself. And I really thought that after a year I'd sort of close that chapter and sneak back into my old life, not realizing that, you know, I'm really forever changed by all this. I can't go back, you know, like, what's that saying? Like, you can't cross the same stream twice. It was, I I forget who said it, but you know, that I'm paraphrasing it, obviously, but just that, like, you're not the same person anymore, you know, and you've expanded and your horizons. And with that knowledge, you're somebody slightly just different enough that you, you know, you're not that person anymore. And it was really the question on, well, shoot, who would that make me? You know, am I this sexual deviant? Cause I'm, I'm all these things in society. You know, I'm this person, this business person that people think I am. And, and so I really gravitated towards, you know, your books and just this emphasis what have been the biggest takeaways for you with this data? Because there's all this information out there in the studies, and I feel like the layperson, it's hard for us to digest it. Like, I know this knowledge is out there, and that's why I really appreciate what you're doing in your books, because, you know, the average woman sitting at home, getting her kids to soccer practice, <laughs> being a wife, being a girlfriend, being you know, like doing all these things. And, you know, how do we sort of take in all of this data and use it productively? Yeah. And there's so much data. And that's really my passion is taking what's in the scientific literature and translating it to help people. So, I mean, I don't have one biggest takeaway, but I guess 
I will say the biggest takeaway from each of my two topics, one is desire and one is orgasm. So the biggest takeaway in terms of desire, and there's so many, but I'll just say one of each, is this concept of responsive or receptive desire that there's two types of desire. One is spontaneous. That's like what we think of as being horny. And that's the only one that's made it out into the lay public. And then a lot of times women, especially when they're busy, tired, stressed, they'll be like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. I don't feel horny anymore. And they'll feel broken. They may stop having sex. But I think if more people knew about responsive desire, they'd feel less broken. And that is that most women do lose their horniness as they age, as they're stressed out, and with the length of the relationship. There's a stage called the limerence phase. Early on, you can't keep your hands off each other. It's great. It's wonderful, but it doesn't last, and it's not supposed to. So what's responsive desire? It's I am open to the idea of sex, even though I'm not horny. And I will get horny after we start engaging sexually. So it's reversing the equation, having sex to get horny rather than waiting to be horny to have sex. And people have sex for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with being horny. They'll feel closer to their partner. They'll sleep better. They know it'll be good when it gets going, but they feel broken when they do that. And that's really normal, normative. So that's one about desire. And my biggest takeaway from the orgasm one is, and any, however you orgasm is fine. So I am not dismissing people who orgasm from penetration alone. I'm just addressing the rest of the people because most of us fall in that category and that's not what's portrayed in the movies. So in the movies, right, there's little fooling around. The man puts his penis in the vagina and like instant orgasm. What I want women to know is that 96% of us do not orgasm most reliably that way. We need clitoral stimulation alone or clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration. The clitoris, not the vagina, is analogous to the penis. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive into some. You, I like, I'm taking notes here (laughs) since you're writing it. One of the things that you were talking about there with that, you know, with the responsive was, you know, I wrote down sex begets sex because I have explored this myself. That was just, that's just my little layman terminology there that I talk about on this podcast is, you know, I try to tell women that the sex begets sex. Like the more you put your energy towards it and put effort towards it, then you are getting, you know, when you put yourself and you're open in a sexual act with someone that it does help. It fans the flames. I mean, like, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Now that was good. You know? And I always say like, I've never, I've never said, well, I could have done without that orgasm. Like, you know, it was okay. I mean, I've never said that. And I'm always like, yeah, I'm happy that I'm happy. I had that. I'm happy. I had. And it primes the pump. And the more that what I kind of realized for myself, because I'd gone so far into just scheduling business world, I kind of lost my, my sexuality, you know, in my thirties. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, is this normal? What's going on here? And then I just thought, okay, I'm going to approach it from a pretty non-sexy way. I'm going to approach it from a business way. Like, 
there's a problem. What are the action steps I need to rectify this? And then I executed on that plan. And here I am seven years later, still going on with it, you know, and I think that that's not really like the sexy way because we just want, I think we want this natural, you know, that you're always on for that person or that, you know, you're just this constant siren of sexuality and you're putting it out there, you know, like we have all these archetypes. I think that we're always kind of women, at least in my, for me anyway, that I was falling back on like, and I'm like, well, I'm not that. And I'm not that, but I know that I felt inherently that this lack of sex drive and really kind of interest in it and losing that piece, that component of myself, I thought this doesn't feel right. Something's off. So let me try to see what, what I can do about it. And I'm surprised. I didn't realize it was, you said 96. You hear all these different numbers. I'd love to sort of clarify. We hear so many different numbers about women that can, you know, have an orgasm through just penetration alone and how many need clitoral stimulation. Can we dig into that? Because I feel like most, I feel like a lot of women, even though what you just said, 96%, I feel like a lot of women just don't know that or they're not you know what I mean? Yes. Even though you're saying it, I still feel like there's this really strong overtone of, you know, women still feeling like, oh, I can't, you know, it's not like in the movies or it's not like in the porn where he's not even touching her clit. It's just penetration and she's orgasming and flailing and it's like the best thing that ever happened. And it's like you look at that and you go, well, shoot, I'm not, that's not happening to me. Maybe I'm broken or I don't react right or whatever. And so what are these numbers? I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out yeah, there. There are. There is. And this is so many women feel broken. So let me break it down. So the earliest studies were done by in share height was the first one in the sixties, okay, or seventies. I can't remember the height report. And she was the first to say, wait a minute, women do not orgasm from penetration alone. And the early numbers were only 25 to 30% do. But those numbers came from asking women, do you orgasm during intercourse? And they didn't ask from just a thrusting penis because we know certain positions you get your clitoris stimulated. Some people touch themselves, use a vibrator, which by the way is no less sex. Good news. Strictly Anonymous Podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too. Send me an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. That's strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictlyanonymouspodcast.com and click on be on the show. So then subsequent studies said, do you orgasm from just a thrusting penis? And in those studies, 15 to 18% said yes. But I started thinking, women think they should orgasm from penetration. And maybe you're pulling for that. If they did it once, they're going to say yes, right? So I created a survey that doesn't pull for that, that I say, What's your most reliable route to orgasm? Penetration alone, clitoral stimulation alone, clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration, or I don't orgasm. 
And I have given this poll to probably at this point, somewhere over 8,000 people. I give it every year in my class with 200 people. I give it when I do webinars. I give it when I have anonymous polling technology in talks I do for the lay public. And when I do, the numbers saying their most reliable route to orgasm is penetration alone ranges from 0% to 4%. Whoa. I just did a webinar the other day and it came out at zero. The last time I did it in my class, it came out at 2%. And if you understand women's biology, that makes perfect and complete sense. So that's where all those different numbers come from. Yes, I love that. And so I'm just, I'll ask the, you know, most one of my most curious questions is like, why is this not more well known? I don't, I mean, I have a lot of reasons for that, I think. So I honestly, I couldn't believe when I wrote my book in 2017, because it was called Becoming Clitorate, and it was all about the clitoris. Why are women orgasming less? What's going on here? And I think there's a couple reasons, but the biggest one is that I think this is an aspect of sexism that is so deeply ingrained in the fabric of our culture, we don't even notice it. The movies, they don't talk, I mean, just a few, right? Most show women having these orgasms the way men do from penetration. Most of them, you know, so some people say, oh, it's because you need penetration to have a baby, but I don't think that's it because like the force with which this has been rejected is just beyond that. And I think it's this inherent sexism that we're supposed, our sexuality is supposed to be like men's. We're supposed to orgasm that way. Be a lot easier for men if we did orgasm that way. It would take less work on their part. So I just think it's, and couple the fact that this is what you see in movies and porn and the fact we have a horrible sex ed system where we we act like the clitoris doesn't even exist, right? When right. We, we put, you know, sometimes they're still separating the boys and the girls talking to the boys about ejaculation and wet dreams and erections and girls about periods. Like those are not the same things. So I think it's just so deeply ingrained in the fabric of our culture to not prioritize, to be ignorant about women's sexual, to sexualize women, but to be ignorant about their sexuality. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love that. I'd love to know your view on how you feel that human sexuality has changed, you know, over your years of teaching. I mean, obviously, you know, 30 years is a long time. And I, I realize that's the, that your primary focus hasn't always been precisely on human sexuality, but just, I mean, I see just in my seven years of doing this podcast, I do see changes, you know, coming like from Gen Z, you know, and just, we have this just kind of different movement, but I'm curious kind of what you feel the most striking changes are, you know, that you've witnessed over, over time and how you feel that things have expanded. Great question. I think there's some good trends and some not so good trends I've seen. So the positive trends are, I do think when I taught my class, like the first time, like 
12 years ago. Like the clitoris was brand new information. They were floored. Now everybody seems to know about it, but they might not know how to implement this knowledge sexually. So I do think there's more sexual empowerment for women, more awareness of women's sexual pleasure. I don't think we've quite caught up with, so what does that mean when we get in the bedroom? So I do think that's a good trend. I think there's a lot more. Another good trend is I've seen a lot more acceptance of both non-heterosexual sexual orientations, seen a lot more acceptance of diverse gender identities, a lot more knowledge and acceptance of kink practices, although there's still a lot of myths based on like 50 shades, you know, that is, so, you know, so those are the positive trends. The negative trends are, I am seeing more and more young people who have seen people have sex and seen naked bodies long before they ever saw a naked body or had sex and who are getting their sex role modeling from porn. Now, I'm not anti-porn and I sometimes suggest it to my clients to enhance arousal. But when it's used as sex ed, I see a lot of problems and I'm sad to report that in my last class, 57% of my students reported the women they'd encountered some kind of scary situation during sex, strangulation or choking without consent, hair pulling without consent, rough sex without consent. And they also reported that a lot of that was due to their partners imitating what they saw in porn so I see positives, but I'm seeing some very concerning negatives as well. You know what? That is so interesting because I can tell you just again from my ventures out there. And like I said, I consider myself just a social experiment. I'm socially experimenting with myself and reporting back to people. And that's really what my whole podcast is about. But yes, I mean, there's a, I noticed that too, this generation of people who grew up with pornography as, like you said, as their sex ed and guys will be, you know, I'm heterosexual. So, you know, the men I'm with will be, sometimes they'll go to do something that wasn't permission based, you know, that's, it's kind of like, okay, you know, I know I'm pretty outspoken. So I have a, I don't have a hard time kind of very fun and playfully maybe in the act, like putting them in their place a little bit, which kind of goes along with the whole, you know, with what we're doing, you know, but it does, it is noted. It's like, wait a minute. No, let me. And, and so my, my response to that usually is, okay, just stop what you're doing right there, buddy. Get up against the wall. Let me show you how a woman really wants to be touched. Let me show you what I really like and what's hot to me. And that's always been a positive reaction. Guys, like they love that. Like, oh, she's taking charge. But, you know, if you're not that, I also often wonder about what if I wasn't that way? You know, what if I didn't have that kind of confidence in the bedroom, which 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have had. So these are just things that I think it's important men need to hear, you know, like that consent is really, I, I feel like consent now is becoming more popular, you know, but 
it's given and it can also be retracted as well in a split second when something isn't working right. And everybody, I feel like, you know, needs to, men and women really need to understand that, you know, that this, this, this has to be consensual. And, you know, when you're not comfortable with something, you have to, you have to have enough confidence to tell your partner and express what's, what's not right and what you would like also. In Absolutely. A, in- and I'm glad you have the confidence, but I can tell you these you know, 18 to 23 year old women, they don't always have the confidence. And so they're putting up with a lot of scary sex at worst, bad sex, like including like a lot report sexual pain and don't say anything to their partner. And why are they having sexual pain? I mean, sexual pain can be psychological, medical, but in this case, what I'm seeing, if it's a young, healthy woman, a lot of time it's no attention to their pleasure. They're having penetration before they're even aroused or not using lubricant, etc. Yeah. yeah. Well, and hopefully, I mean, I do kind of feel like, again, like slowly, I feel like that's trending in the right direction. But I also feel like, you know, women need to, well, not just, I mean, anybody, you know, everybody has to really be responsible for themselves, you know, and that does take, like you said, I mean, I can say when I was 18 or 23, well, I was pretty outspoken. (laughs) I was reading Cosmo. (laughs) I was like, I would find, I remember the first time I I read an article about the cat method. You know, where, uh, and I was, I gave it to my boyfriend, like, let's try this. And I think I was 18. <laughs> and boom, you know, I came like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're yeah. onto something, you know. And the cat position works, the coital alignment technique, because it stimulates the clitoris. That's well, and I knew from touching myself. See, I couldn't, I was at that point where I couldn't say, okay, like, I didn't want to touch myself. I was just 18, right? I didn't want to touch myself in front of him, but I was just like, let's just get your penis in the right place and and we'll be cooking with gas. (laughs) And we did. Yeah. And that was, that was fun. But, um, I've digressed. Okay. So I want, I want to dive into your book, Becoming Clitorate. Great title, by the way. And why orgasm equality matters and how to get it. So this may, uh, kind of a generic question, but I mean, what were the things that really just jumped out at you that motivated you like this? I have to write this book. This this information needs to get out there. Yeah. So when I started teaching, I was absolutely floored. I felt like a whole body of knowledge was lost to young women about their pleasure, about the clitoris. So when I taught it and I taught about the orgasm gap and saw that in my own students, I started teaching too women's pleasure to closing the orgasm gap, both analyzing why it exists and then giving techniques to close it. And I would get notes from students, thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic, from men, thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, this can't just be a problem at, you know, with at University of Florida, right? This has to be all over. And in fact, one funny story, when the book was kind of gelling in my head. I gave a talk at Harvard and I used the anonymous polling technology and they had a massive orgasm gap. And I said to, well, you might be the cream of the crop academically, but you're not at all far ahead in terms of sexual empowerment. So the more I talked, the more I in lectured, found out this was really a problem all over. And so I decided to write a book 
with the aim of like bringing the clitoris into the limelight, exposing the orgasm gap and helping women close it in individual bedrooms, as well as making a cultural impact on closing it. Yeah. So just in case anybody doesn't understand what the orgasm gap is, I kind of assume most people do, but, but how would you define that? It's pretty simple. It's the consistent finding in the research literature that when women and men, cisgender women and cisgender men get it on, the women are having substantially fewer orgasms than the men. And let me illustrate with a few statistics. It's biggest in hookup sex, and it gets smaller in subsequent hookups, smallest in relationships, never closes altogether. In my last class, 77% of women, of men, sorry, versus 13% of women said they orgasm during first time hookup sex. Whoa. And in other research, it's about 95% of men versus 65% of women orgasm in relationship sex. So it, the only time it comes close to closing is one study in relationship sex where there was also other things, oral sex, manual stimulation, deep kissing, etc. So basically, and I'll illustrate with some other statistics, some people say, oh, it's, all, it's because women's bodies are difficult, elusive. Well, two other gaps make it clear it's not our bodies. When women pleasure themselves, 95% reach orgasm easily and within minutes, not our bodies. And interestingly, only 2% of women masturbate exclusively by putting something in the vagina. So that tells you something. And women orgasm more with other women There was one than with men. There was a fascinating study. I've heard this. Yes, I was going to ask you about this. I'm so glad you're going there. Okay, go. So go. there's lots of statistics, but my favorite is from a study of bisexual women who hooked up with women and men. So same woman, same body. They orgasm during first-time hookup sex 64% of the time when their partner was a woman, 7% when their partner was a man. So it tells us it's not our bodies. It's the way we do heterosexual sex. It's the way we prioritize penetration and male pleasure. That's pretty profound right there. Wow. I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, I've, I've heard that before that, you know, the, I guess, generically speaking, I've heard, you know, that women in same sex, you know, lesbian relationships are more satisfied sexually than heterosexual women because yeah because they women you know they know like okay like this is what we need and they're like on the same level i guess they're approaching it from the same you know like there's aspect. more yeah there's more it some people say oh it's because if you have a clitoris you know how to touch one no everyone needs something different they know to ask and there's more turn taking I'll do this for you, you do this for me, and more communication rather than centering the whole event around penetration, which is males, men's most reliable route to orgasm, not women's. Yes. Well, I'm just happy that, you know, there's a lot of men that listen to this show. <laughs> I'm always I'm always lovingly trying to like give them give them tools to be better lovers and just to learn something better. And myself as well, obviously, because there's always something to learn. That's what I kind of love about sexuality. I feel like it's just a part of your life that's always evolving and changing. And 
just embrace that and stay open and curious because new things that you didn't think were exciting at one point will then become exciting and that to expect your sexuality and the way that you're turned on and stimulated just to stay static, you know, for your whole entire life, you know, is, I mean, I know my orgasms have changed the way I'm more sensitive one area, or I was, you know, used to be like, I could orgasm more easily like this. And now I need these other things. It's just kind of always something that, you know, that it's like its own, it has its own life, your sexuality, you know, it grows, evolves and changes and, and to be okay with that. So you say that there's in your book, I guess there's a, you have a a chapter written for men in the clitoracy book, right? And you're helping them improve their knowledge of women's genital anatomy, sexual genital anatomy and their pleasure, as well as sexual communication skills. I'd love to break that down. And what are some of the, like the things that you're recommending for men in that chapter to just kind of help them become more clitorate. Yeah. So the, <laughs> that chapter is really a summary of the whole book written for men. And I'm really proud to say that research shows that men who read it do become better communicators, better lovers, more knowledgeable. Just like there's a study that women who read the book become more orgasmic, better body image, more empowered. But basically it goes over genital anatomy. So they understand the vulva in addition to the vagina, because the vagina is usually the only thing they've heard about. I debunk myths that help them. And I talk about how learning that women's most reliable route to pleasure is clitoral stimulation, how that helps them. Because there's so much they have, they've been duped by culture too. And they feel like, oh, I need a big penis. I need to thrust hard and last long. And it's really a relief to find out, no, like, you can give pleasure with your hands, your tongue, tell her to bring her vibrator, and then you can enjoy yourself and not feel so pressured. And so I go into a lot of that. I talk about vibrator myths, because we know that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms, but men are often threatened by them, that they will be a replacement. So I have a huge pep talk about that. That is, I can just tell you, Dr. Mintz, that is true. You know, some guys don't mind at all. And then other guys definitely, they feel threatened by it. Why do you think that is? That's so fascinating to me. Yeah, because they think they are supposed to be the ones to, quote, give a woman an orgasm with their penis is the ideal, if not their hands and tongue, and that they shouldn't need an artificial device. But what there's new knowledge I've gained even since reading that chapter that really helps men is that we women and men, penises and vulvas, have something called Pacinian corpuscles, which are skin receptors for vibration. They're all over the vulva. They're all over the penis. And they do help women orgasm. In fact, doctors are starting to say, we shouldn't call them toys. We should call them medical advices, devices because they have so much efficacy in helping women to orgasm. And they're starting to be used on men too, who have sexual issues. So a lot of times I'll tell men, I promise you, if she's got a vibrator while your penis is in her vulva or vagina, you're going to catch vicarious vibes. You're going to love it. Oh, they do. They really do. (laughs) Yeah. And I have a great metaphor I use in the book too. At least I think it's good. And I've had readers tell me, if you were in the pool with your partner and there was a raft there 
you got off the raft and on the raft, in the pool, kiss on the raft, kissed in the pool. You know, you wouldn't go home and go, I had the best day with my raft. Oh, my boyfriend was there. You wouldn't even mention the raft because it's just a tool to enhance the experience. You're still having, you're still in the pool with the person and the same is true with sex. It's just a tool to enhance the experience. I love that. That is an excellent way of thinking about it. Yes, I'm going to steal that. Please do. I'm going to use it. I will give you credit, but like, that's amazing. Yes, I love how you put that. So you also say that with the 55% of men versus the 4% of women, you know, who say they usually reach orgasm during first time hookup sex. I mean, that's really low, 4%. I'm focusing on, obviously, on the women here. I'm like, oh my gosh. What do women need to know about going into first-time hookups and how to sort of equalize, I guess, the orgasm gap for themselves? Like, what can they do to really Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to know your own anatomy. You have to know what you need. And not just when you're alone with, when you're with a partner. And to really, it starts in your head. You have to consider your pleasure as important as your partner's. And so many women are socialized with this. It's good for him. It's good for me. I've heard, oh, it would be pushy to ask a new partner for what I need. No, why? Why? It's not pushy. It's what you need. And they're asking you. So it starts with the attitude. And then you need to communicate what you want and need before, during, and after. And, you know, I had one student and I love this. She ended up after learning all this, she wrote it in her, her profile for Tinder or Bumble. I can't remember which I'm into closing the orgasm gap. Talk to me first. And people would be like, what does this mean? And she'd be like, my orgasms as important as yours. And she'd have men go, well, that's a lot of pressure. And she's like, not at all. I'm just going to bring my vibrator along. And they'd be like, okay. So like really feeling like you have as much a right to pleasure as your partner and using the tools and communication skills to make that happen. Yes. I love that. I <laughs> so great. I talk about, I do, I talk about, you know, on the show, like really, I feel like I've really written a, a well-constructed profile on the dating sites or hookup sites that I'm on. And it really, it does, it illustrates a lot of that, but I love that I'm into what is minimizing the orgasm, closing the orgasm gap. Yes. No, that is fantastic. I really do. I feel like my experience has been, and you, you know, I'm sure you've interacted with a lot of couples and men. I really feel like men are for the most part, very receptive to this. In my experience, I feel like they generally do want to please their partners. Yes, they've just, I mean, I often, I say in the book, like most men, I don't buy that whole, like the reason for the orgasm gap is men don't care. It, there are some, if you find one, run, leave, goodbye. But most men really, really care about giving their partner pleasure so much they feel like their masculinity depends on it, but they've just been duped in the same way women have. So it's a knowledge issue. I agree with that a thousand percent. I really do agree. I don't feel like this is a war of the sexes per se issue. It's, it is more that mo it's just the, everybody's kind of been a little bit duped and now we can kind of come together 
and correct that. And that just takes everybody, you know, having, being honest and having good dialogue and being able to express what their wants and needs are. But I have really found resoundingly across the board that it, out there, as I've been paying attention with my social experimentation, men really do want to please you and they want to do a good job. And they're not, I, I don't know that I've really ever come across anybody that was just so selfish that they didn't care. So, you know, I just, I feel like this, these are important conversations to have because we just need to make this more of a normal, established conversation between couples and people, you know, before they start to engage in this stuff. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I do not feel at all that it's like, um, that it's a man versus women. It's just a lack of dialogue between two people who want to accomplish something and they are not establishing what that is before they, you know. Right. Well, I'm glad that that's been your experience. I'm really glad to hear that, that it conforms, you know, that, that no, but people just need knowledge and conversation. So, you know, how do we really change our, you know, just our collective perspective on sex and undo kind of the misunderstandings and the myths that have been holding us back? I think with this, this kind of conversation, I think books like mine, podcasts like yours, conversations with friends, you know, I encourage people the next time you're watching a movie with a group of friends and you see a woman having a fast and fabulous orgasm with penetration alone, say, Hey, let's turn this off and talk about it. That's a lie. Like, you know, let's have a conversation. Also really change our language around sex because language reflects and perpetuates culture both. So stop using the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same because that that is saying that's the most important act. Let's stop using the word foreplay as if it's just a lead up to the main event. And let's stop calling our entire genitals a vagina, because by doing so, we're linguistically erasing the part of ourselves that gives us the most pleasure. Let's use the word vulva, clitoris, loud and proud. I am like, what you just said right there, amazing. And can I also just add one thing to that? Please. Is that I feel like I'm a thousand percent behind what you just said. One of the problems I feel like we're facing as a society is that, you know, there's a lot of censorship and that statement right there could just be censored because you're using the word clitoris, you know, because you're using proper medical terminology for our body parts. And if I were to post that on, let's say Instagram, I would have to change maybe what you said, clitoris to something else, put a funny little emoji and this is some, one of the things that I'm super passionate about and that bugs me the most is that, you know, from people like yourself who have studied this, you have the academic credentials. And if anybody should be able to take this message and deliver it, it should be you. But if you want to do that on out there to educate people, you're going to need to change the word sex to sags or make an emoji eggplant for a penis. And that right there is, pisses me off so much because I feel like it's that type of stuff that helps keep this stuff repressed and in the background. It breeds misinformation. And then even farther to the darker side, it helps perpetuate the negative things about sex trafficking and 
all the, you know, when you really go to the far extreme of what people are hoping to prevent against through censorship to not give rise and way and a platform to sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff. But we're suppressing, like, the knowledge is the power, I think, that sets us free from that. And so I feel like we have this countermeasure to suppress it at the same time, which really kind of bothers me a lot, to be honest. What is your take on that? Agreed. And I faced it myself. I don't know how I get away on Instagram because I do post this kind of stuff. And I've gotten shadow banned a couple of times, but not as much. But I don't use TikTok as much because if I use the words, they bleep them out. They take the words out of my whole video. And really, there is way more censorship on the words clitoris, vulva, vagina than there is on penis. I don't know if you read about Dame Products. They're a vibrator company. And they couldn't advertise on the New York subway. Yet there were Viagra ads on the subway. So they sued New York City because there's so much more censorship on women's sexuality than on men's. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, it's... Sometimes I feel like, am I alone in these thoughts? And it's so refreshing. I know I'm not, but but it's just nice to hear like, yes. And so what I want to, the reason I want to emphasize that to people that just average the way the average person should be aware of this, because this is part of the problem around our sexual wellness, education. I agree that we need to have age appropriate stuff. And, you know, nobody's, I'm not an advocate of trying to educate young children or, you know, anybody that's not where it's not age appropriate. So let's take that out of it. But for adults and things like that, you know, we, again, we're still perpetuating with the lack of information and making it harder. Like I said, you know, it's okay to, when we see a Viagra ad, well, we know what that's for. Nobody's freaking out about it. So, why are we, when we go to the other end of it, you know, with women and their sexual health and wellness, like, why can't we talk about that freely? Exactly. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Mance. Well, we're just, <laughs> we're in the same camp. We're leading. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so we're trying to uh, lead the charge. And then I also wanted to cover, so you're, you also have, you know, in your book, Let's jump to your book, Tired, you know, uh, your Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. You know, you quoted the phrase, honey, I'm too tired. And that may sound like just another excuse. But, you know, uh, for a lot of women, you know, it's true. So they may settle for, like you were saying, you know, no sex, obligatory sex. I'm just going to do this for the marriage. You know, it's often they're just kind of going along with it. Again, why do you think that's happening. And so if you're a woman that's been in a relationship, you're married, sex isn't, it's become obligatory. You know, it's more about him kind of nagging you for it and you're sort of acquiescing. How do you suggest women kind of turn the tide on that? Yeah. So, and you know, there's so many reasons for it. Some is just normal. Like I said, we lose our spontaneous desire, our horniness as a relationship goes on, as we age. For women in perimenopause or many menopause, a lot of times pain is the driving force because a lot don't know that when the estrogen decreases, the vaginal tissue thins and there's both over-the-counter and physician prescribed things that can help with that. 
And a lot of it is also due to stress. We know from research that women are doing way more than their share of the housework and the child care, and they're over busy, they're stressed, and stress does biological things to our sex drive. So what can you do? First of all, it's, you know, there's so many things. Start thinking about sex as something for you. Remember how good it used to be. Like start thinking that way. When you are having sex, turn off your brain. We know a lot of women are like, oh my gosh, that email or my body. Yeah, my shopping list. My shopping list. Yeah. So that's part you need to do to do self-care. Take care of yourself. Find some time for joyful activities. We know yoga is a great one for women's sexuality, but probably because the body focus, the mindfulness. Yes. Do some structural things in your marriage so you have more time. You're not the one carrying the whole load. And then, you know, use your responsive desire to have what I call trysts, planned, scheduled meetings to have a sexual encounter. Sex is not supposed to be spontaneous. That's a myth as well. Make sure that you're doing things you want. Make sure you're mindful. Take the time. And if it's fun, it's not duty sex. So put it on the calendar. And if all of these things don't work, see a certified sex therapist to get some help because there's other things that can help diminished desire. Read, also read some erotica before your tryst. Turn yourself on. Make sure it's good sex, even if it doesn't start with horniness, because like you said, sex begets sex. The more sex you want, the have the good sex anyway, the more that the more you have, the more you want. Yes. Yes, that is so true. So how can men sort of help like their spouses or partners when, if they're finding, okay, you know, maybe my, she's a little stressed, my sex drive's higher. I'm wanting it all the time. Are there any like little, I don't want to say secret ways, but just, you know, subtle ways that they can help promote this. If they just have no idea kind of where to start. Like, First of where- all, do more chores, chore play, <laughs> start engaging in chore play. Chore play. Okay. That's like, is that the new, is chore play the new <laughs> form of uh, foreplay? Yes. It's better than <laughs> foreplay for many. Notice, say, hey, you seem tired and stressed. What can I do to help? Encourage self-care. Sit down and have a conversation. What's your ideal frequency? How can we make this better for you? See a sex therapist together. All of those things. Yeah, no, really good. So how did you, you're, you're a published author, you're a professor. Why are you so, and you didn't even get to this till what, 12 years ago, this, this emphasis, right? So why are you so passionate about human sexuality and what do you hope your legacy will be? Well, first of all, it's something so many people are uncomfortable with. And that's such a shame because the discomfort stops people from getting help and knowledge. We know it's an important part of life. We know that sexual satisfaction is highly correlated with life satisfaction across all age spans. Relationship satisfaction is highly correlated with sexual satisfaction. And there's just not enough people talking about it comfortably and with scientifically accurate information. So I think that's what I want my legacy to be, to have helped people embrace sexual desire and pleasure and let go of sexual shame and have good sex lives. And 
you know, one of the most surprising things to me, you know, I wrote Becoming Cliterate to help women with better sex, right? Become orgasmic. And I never anticipated this. I've gotten so many notes from women saying, this book didn't just change my sex life, it changed my life. Because once I felt empowered in the bedroom, I felt unstoppable outside the bedroom. Like a lot of people say it's the reverse. Oh, get confident and then bring it to the bedroom. No, I've had so many women say to me, it's just the opposite. Once I can do this in my most intimate encounters, I'm more confident in general. That is so true. I get the same feedback and it's just been, it's the reason that, you know, this was initially supposed to be just a one year secret podcast. And I was really just documenting what I was doing and sharing that with people anonymously. And then it caught on and people wanted me to keep going with it. And I was like, well, I guess I really don't need to shut it down because it's going well. (laughs) So I kept going with it. And every time I feel like I question myself, or I feel like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Does anybody give a shit? Is this important at all? I'll get these wonderful voicemails or emails from people about how kind of leading by example has changed people's lives. And it's incredible. And I'm like, okay, yes, you know, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And I know that this is important. And I feel that you're a, you're a kindred spirit. I don't know that I have a, you know, I haven't written any books, but you know, I'm just out here doing this and it's, it's caught on. And so I'm just, it's just such a pleasure to have you on and for you to be in that camp, you know, leading the charge in your own way. Tell everyone, you know, where they can find you if they want to. And thank you. I feel the same. And I appreciate you leading the charge with your podcast as well and leading by example. So you can find me on my website, which is pretty easy to find, www.drlaurimintz.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z.com. And from there, you can find my books on Amazon, you know, Barnes and Noble Indie Bookstore. You'll have links to my social media, but all my social media is the same handle, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Dr. Lori Mintz. So. I hope to see you, some of you there. Yes, I know you'll have some people jumping over there. I'll put all that in my show notes. So if anybody missed it, don't worry. We'll have the links for you to get in touch with Dr. Lori. Now, everybody, you guys know what my favorite thing for you to do is. You know how you can get a hold of me. My favorite thing is go to my website, thecruisegirldiaries.com, and leave me a voicemail. You have five minutes. We can talk about anything and everything that you want. I love it when you share your thoughts with me. You guys know that I'm open and I share all my ideas and thoughts with you. You have five minutes. Let it rip. I get back to each and every one of you personally, and I really enjoy your feedback. So easy to do, guys. Everyone stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend and make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com and join my subscribers only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.